Hey, well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Lindsay. Um, you, some of you may know that my husband Ryan and I have three children. They are seven, nine, and 12 years old right now. Um, and they are pretty great. You know, honestly, they are just delightful and they really are just fun to be around. Um, and one of the things that I have noticed about my delightful children is that they are really good at telling me what their siblings do wrong. They actually, they don't come and like tattle to me very often, but like if I go into one of their rooms and it's like totally destroyed, or if there's an argument and I walk in and I say to them like, what's going on? What, what did you do? Almost guaranteed that child, whichever one I'm asking will respond by saying, well, well, she's been throwing her toys, right? Or he dumped out all the Legos. Right? I mean, they're, they're just masters at it. And I mean, it's kind of funny, right? And, and it's easy to see this um, sort of play itself out in kids. But, but it turns out that this is something that most adults do too. And this tendency is something that we are going to look at together today. So we are in the middle of a sermon series about being spiritually strong. And in the Christian faith, we often talk about salvation in terms of making a decision to follow Jesus. Um, and it is that. And also, following Jesus is so much more than a single decision. It's so much better than that. Um, following Jesus is, it's like it's responding to an invitation to participate in God's kingdom. Um, and God's kingdom has different values than we see played out in most of society. So how we spend our money and how we treat people, how truthful we are, how um, we handle power, who we value, who we protect, right? These things are, they're flipped. It's like upside down from what you might expect to see in popular culture. So in God's kingdom, we are really aiming to, to demonstrate the love and the selflessness that Jesus himself embodied. So that's why in church, we read and we talk so much about Jesus and his life and his teachings. Um, and we try and act on it, not, not because we're trying to prove ourselves and not because we have to earn our way into the kingdom, but because we are a part of the kingdom and because we want to live and to love the way that Jesus did. And so when we talk about being spiritually strong, there's actually this interesting tension that we hold um, when we talk about it, because we absolutely want to be spiritually strong. Um, but we recognize that strength and, you know, this idea of like winning, it looks different in God's kingdom. Because in a lot of ways, it's like a race to the bottom, not to the top. Because we aren't trying to be the leader here. We're trying to follow. And in learning to follow um, is where we develop our strength. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, um, talking more about spiritual strength. And so we are going to go um, directly to the teachings of Jesus, and we're going to go to one of his most famous teachings, which is the Sermon on the Mount. It's considered to be um, one of the core teachings on what it means to live in God's kingdom. So the Sermon on the Mount, it is found in Matthew um, from chapters 5 to 7. So it's rather long. 
Um, it starts with the Beatitudes, right? The list of who's blessed. Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and so on. Um, and it ends, the end of chapter seven, is a story about a wise man who built his house on a rock. And then a storm comes and a flood comes and the house um, stands firm because it has a solid foundation, right? It was strong. So Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount basically saying, if you want your house, right, your life to be strong, build it on these teachings about my kingdom. And so that's what we're hoping to do. And so we're going to focus today just on part of the Sermon on the Mount um, as we consider another aspect of what it means to be spiritually strong. Okay, so let's, let's read together. We are going to read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the while there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, so um, this section of scripture is often labeled um, judging others or, you know, something like that in the text. Um, and so this section, it, it does talk about judging people. Um, but, but also, one of the things that you might notice is that in these five verses, it actually talks about vision even more than it talks about judgment, right? It, it mentions the eye six times. Um, and it talks about seeing and noticing things. So it's actually talking about judgment in the context of our perception of things, right? What do we notice about ourselves and about other people? And so as we go through these verses this morning, I want each of us to ask this question of ourself, right? How accurate is my perception of myself, right? How clearly do I see myself and other people in the world, right? So I just want you to have that in the back of your mind, right? How, how clearly do I see myself and other people um, as we think through this um, and apply it to our lives? Okay, so Jesus starts off by saying, don't judge other people so that you won't um, invite judgment on yourself. And then he gives this kind of, um, kind of outrageous, really, description to help people understand what he's talking about. And he says, why do you see this speck of sawdust right in your brother's eye, but then you don't see the plank that's in your own eye? Um, and the words that are used here, right, the Greek words, they're, they're really dramatically different. Um, so in this, in my Bible, it's um, translated sawdust, right, the small one. It's like a little sliver, like this tiny chip of wood. And then the other one is a plank or a log, right? It's, it's this huge, heavy piece of timber, like a wooden beam that was used in construction or would be put like in front of the, the door to their house. It'd be like used as the lock, right? So it's, it's this huge piece of wood that couldn't fit in someone's eye, right? And so it's this image of this giant piece of wood that's across somebody's face and is somehow stuck in their eye, right? And so then Jesus says, like, how could you say to someone, let me help you take the speck out of your eye when you have this giant beam in your eye, right? So, I mean, we can get this mental image of someone whose 
offering to help someone while they have this like huge beam in their face, right? I mean, can you imagine like you have something in your eye and somebody's like coming at you like with this huge beam, right? Like offering to help you, right? And you can just see like that this offer of help, like, I mean, it's just rather ridiculous, right? The image of this person walking around with this giant plank is not a picture of strength, right? It, it's a picture of foolishness. And so we're left thinking like, well, I don't want to be that guy. But, but the problem is that we're so good at being that guy. Right? We actually are so good at seeing the speck in other people's eyes. Right? Humans are so good at making negative judgments about other people. We're so ready to see each other's faults. Um, when, when I was growing up, like a staple conversation that we would have on our drive home from church was who we thought maybe should have been there to hear the sermon. Right? Like we'd be like, Ooh, you know, I wish so-and-so was there today. Or, oh, I know who needed to hear that sermon today, right? I mean, surely we're not the only ones who did this. But honestly, we would have entire conversations about how other people needed the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Like, we, we would talk about this, right? And honestly, like, I still have a hard time not doing that. If I hear a teaching that's addressing like destructive behavior in someone's life or marriage or friendship, I so often think about who else it might apply to. Like it takes deliberate work for me to to be introspective and to think, well, wait, am am I the one who needs to hear this, right? Am, Am I being unkind to my husband? Am I being too harsh in my parenting? Am I ignoring the marginalized people in society? Am I harboring unforgiveness? I mean, for me personally, this is one of the reasons that I actually have really benefited from having a spiritual director. Like as, as a pastor, like it's my literal job to help people identify areas of sin in their life. And so I have really benefited from having someone who will sit and be willing to challenge me and say like, you know, no, I'm, I'm not asking how you can help other people course correct, right? Where do you, Lindsay, need to repent, right? What is the Lord saying, not just to the church, but, but to you, right? We're so practiced at seeing the wrong things that other people do in their lives. And I think that one of the challenges um, of this is that the way that we've read this so many times is that we think that the plank that is in our eye is sin that Jesus removes when we get saved. And so sometimes we think that once we start following Jesus, right, once we're part of the church, that he's taken the plank out of our eye, and then we've been like elevated to the status of speck identifier, right? Like I'm saved, praise the Lord, I'm forgiven. But then what happens is we we sometimes start to categorize people I mean, sometimes quite broadly, right, with these broad strokes as sinners. And this reinforces like our own sense of righteousness. But we'll be like, oh, the liberal left or right, the radical right or young people or college students today. Right. I mean, it could be anybody. Right. Hollywood. Like we could find faults with anybody. But 
Right, but here, here's the challenge. It's almost like we accidentally get ourselves into this bind because we start out rightly believing and knowing that God is pleased with us. But then we mistakenly believe that God is pleased with everything in us. We rightly believe that we're accepted by God, but then we mistakenly believe that anything unacceptable has to be outside of us, right? It's like, because Jesus has given us this right standing before God, we then think that all of our perspectives and our viewpoints and the way that we see the world are also right. And so we start looking everywhere else except inside of ourselves for sin, right? I mean, this is so important, right? We don't want to miss this. It can be so easy for us to lose sight of the nature of our own situation, right? It's so easy for us to not see our own failures, right? We are in constant need of God's grace. It's not just everybody else. I mean, we can sometimes become just so sure of our own correctness and we can get locked into like one way of thinking, to one political party, to one pastor style of preaching, to one format of worshiping, to one theological perspective that we don't notice when it starts to be an unhealthy attachment. And we've shifted our understanding of the gospel into something that it's not. Beth Moore said something pretty profound this week. She said that we can be um, pro-Christian, but be separated entirely from what it what's actually Christ-like. And from what we read here in Matthew, we might not even notice that it's happening. We might not notice that our vision and our judgment have become skewed. Right? Jesus said, you, you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't see this giant plank in your own. And so we wander around and we're trying to help other people who we think have it wrong. And actually, they might have it more right than we do. I read something that one biblical scholar wrote um, about these verses, and he said that he doesn't actually think um, that the pieces of wood represent specific sins in our lives. Right? He thinks that because the wood is in our eyes, that Jesus is communicating that actually these people have wrong perceptions of what morality even looks like. So the image um, is actually a description of like how clear or obstructed our judgment of right and wrong is. So one person here is, is slightly off in their perception or understanding of what is righteous and unrighteous. And the other person is like way off, but in their ignorance and, and in their arrogance, they're trying to correct the other person. I, you know, I've just, I've wrestled with these words from Jesus so much these past couple of weeks. Um, and honestly, I've, I've been kind of wrecked by it. And I've been listening to people in the church during this really divided time in our country. And this lesson from Jesus is just really hitting home. And I've just been wondering in what ways that we are at risk of becoming like the Pharisees who are so confident in our, our own righteousness, but then stand in this like hypocritical judgment of other people. 
and we call like entire groups of people sinful, but we don't see our own sinfulness. Right? This, this problem that humanity has is so significant and so important that Jesus addressed it in his most famous sermon ever. And he taught this to a crowd of people that included his most dedicated followers. Right? Many of us have been following Jesus for a long time. And our intentions, I think, are even really good. We want to help people who have specks in their eyes. But through this teaching, right, Jesus is teaching us, he's warning us, like, we have to remain attentive to our own lives, right? How clearly do we see ourselves in our own spiritual growth? This teaching, it's an invitation to us to pay attention to our own viewpoints of of ourselves and of other people. This is an invitation to consider, right, how is the Lord working in us? How is the Holy Spirit convicting us of our own sins and teaching us about the nature of his kingdom and how we can participate? So this story, uh, it's not a story, it's a a teaching, um, also comes like with a solution. And that's to take the plank out. Now, now this can be tricky. Um, and the reason it's tricky is that we might not be aware of our lack of awareness. You know, um, one of the things that is in the news right now a lot is racial injustice. Um, and this week there have been more protests after the officers who killed Breonna Taylor were not indicted. And one of the things um, that I do every time a a, a news piece like this um, comes about is I read what Black leaders in the community are saying about it. And I've done this for years. And I continue to be surprised by what I learn, right? But always, like a Black pastor or therapist or activist or mom or, I mean, anyone who's willing to teach me will point out something that I didn't notice on my own. Right? They will shed light on a perspective that isn't native to how I was taught to think growing up. And it helps give me a more clear view of the situation and of justice and of the gospel and of the world. But it, it re- has required me, growing in this has required me um, seeking out people who can help point out things that I don't see. Sometimes we don't notice something about a situation. Sometimes we don't notice something about ourselves. But in this teaching, Jesus seems to be suggesting that even if we haven't noticed it, that we're still responsible to remove the plank, right? To correct our vision. But not only that we're responsible to, but but that we can, right? He wouldn't tell us to do something that we can't do. And so he says, You know, take the log out. Make sure that your perception of yourself and other people is not skewed. Well, how do we do that? Well, Jesus didn't say that part directly. (laughs) But, But the encouragement to us here is that we can do this, right? It might take some work, some humility, right? But we can be open handed. We can take honest stock of our own lives. We can invite other people to ask us hard questions. We can sit 
with the teachings of Jesus, right? Like literally, like sit down at a table and and read the words that he said and, and say, how am I doing with this? How clearly do we see ourselves? We want to be spiritually strong people who take honest assessments of our own lives and who, who are willing to change our perspectives when they don't line up with God's kingdom. Having um, clear perspective will not only benefit us as we live in God's kingdom, but it'll also benefit other people. Um, Jesus said in here to first take the log out of your own eye, right, the plank, and then you'll see clearly to take this speck out of your brother's eye. So following Jesus was never meant to be like an isolated solo thing, right? There's all these metaphors in scripture about us being in community, right, a body and a family. We're meant to help each other um, and to grow together. Right? We need each other to help see our failures because we don't always notice them. In this, Jesus is not teaching against accountability. Right? He's teaching against this self-righteous, hypocritical judgment. And he's teaching against us like harming the other people that we're trying to help. Right? But the thing is, right, you guys, people need help. And sometimes I think we get so caught up and being upset about how wrong and badly other people are living their lives that we forget why we're even here. We forget that it's the kindness of God that drew us to him. And we're following Jesus because he's the Lord and like this amazing God has loved us and invited us to share in his love and participate in his kingdom. And so now we get to be a part of this community of believers, like encouraging each other and sharing our lives together and growing strong in our faith together. And this is good news that people desperately need. I was reading um, an article by a guy, um, Mike Frost, and um, it was called The Lonely Crowd. And and in it, he was um, talking about a book by Matthew Lieberman, and uh, the book's called Social And in the book, he's describing these studies that were done in 1985 and again in 2004. And what they did in these studies is they asked people to list their friends um, and to list them in response to this question. They were were saying, um, like, who do you talk to about things that are important to you? And in 1985, um, 59% of people listed three or more people that they would talk to about important things in their life. But by 2004, when they repeated this survey, the most common number of friends that people would list when they said, who do you talk to about things that are important to you? The most common number was zero, right? Only 37% of people had three or more people that they listed. In 1985, only 10% of people had zero people to list. But by 2004, 25% of people listed zero people, right? That means one out of four people are walking around with no one to share their lives with, right? People are longing for connection, for a place to belong, right? They need friends and meaning, and and we have that in abundance. 
And then I read this other study uh, that was done by Barna. And um, this study said that 87% of people who don't attend church list as a primary reason that they don't come to church is that the people who are there are too judgmental. And then there was another article that was talking about people who are leaving the church, right? So they've been apart and they're leaving and they're leaving not because they don't believe in Jesus, but they're leaving because they feel like the people in their churches are just focused on like behavior management and jumping through hoops. Like their church isn't a place where they can ask questions. It's not a place that they're going to, to talk about God's love and his kingdom and what that looks like. They feel like it's a place where people are there just looking for specks in their eyes, right? They feel like they're walking around and, and just waiting. People are waiting to tell them something is wrong about them, right? I mean, th this is heartbreaking. I mean, we don't, we don't want to do that to people. You know, sometimes when people talk about, you know, this kind of introspection that I've been talking about today, they, they use the term personal responsibility. And I don't actually use that term much anymore. Because um, you know what the problem with personal responsibility is? It's rarely used personally. Like that phrase, it, it's started getting turned around as a weapon. And this idea that is right and good and holy that says I am responsible for my own sinfulness has been turned into your situation as the result of your sinfulness. We like to tie people's situations to how moral we think they are, right? We love thinking that we're so holy and good that we've earned all of these good things in life, right? I'm so good that I get to live like hashtag blessed. But then when people are struggling, we'll say things like, well, I mean, there's no one to blame but yourself for the situation. I mean, and that just isn't true. I mean, sometimes someone else is to blame for your situation. Sometimes there are whole systems in place to blame for your situation. Sometimes no one is to blame, right? You guys, we have to stop shaming people and calling it discipleship, right? I just, today, if you are going through something horrible, I just really want you to know that your terrible situation is not the result of you being terrible. You are not sick because you're sinful. You are not lonely because you are sinful. You are not poor because you are sinful. And you are not healthy or rich or connected because you're not sinful, right? We are all sinful. We all need redemption. And every single one of us needs the grace and the goodness and the forgiveness of Jesus. And here, is the best news of all. It's available to us, right? This very good God who loves us and who is at work in us um, is making us more like him, right? So, so friends, let's go forward from here today with a renewed commitment, not to look for faults in other people, but to pay attention to how God is inviting each of us to be more like him and to see the world and ourselves and each other more clearly. And as we do that, may we become more spiritually strong. Amen.